All right, I want to start off with a question for you this morning. Um, during the Christmas season, so, so where we are right now, it's Christmas Eve and Merry Christmas Eve to all of y'all. As you think about the Christmas season, um, is worry present in your heart and soul this season? And by worry, I mean this. Worry is allowing your mind to dwell on any difficulty or any trouble. Has work got you worried? Has family got you worried? Has, has the Christmas season in general got you worried? Um, well, if so, what if I told you there was a way to help with that worry through this Christmas season? Well, the good news is that's what we're talking about today, is we're talking about how to deal with that worry, how to deal with those times when our mind dwells on things that, that are difficult or dwells on things that cause us trouble. Um, what we're going to see is a better way than worry today. Um, this Advent season, like Laura said, like I said, we're doing a series called A Christmas to Remember. And, and the way we came about this series was very simple. We kind of asked people, tell me your favorite Christmas memory. As you think about all the Christmases that you've had, what's, what's the first memory that pops into your mind as the best Christmas memory you had? And, and as people shared these memories, there were certain themes that came out during that time. There were themes of, of contentment where all was right in the world during those times. There was themes of rest, like there was work to do, but for some reason, in this one particular memory, it was okay to not do that work. It was okay to leave the dishes in the kitchen. It was okay to leave the, the wrapping paper all over the floor. It was okay. There was work to be done, but there was rest in this memory. Last week, we talked about there was even this theme of play that came out in those memories where it was this time that was set aside to enjoy joy. And so we've had Christmas, we've had, we've had contentment, we've had rest, and we've had play. And, and what we've talked about in this series is what would happen if we took that memory and stretched it out to an entire season, to where instead of just that Christmas memory, just that Christmas day being marked by these things, what if the entire Christmas season we highlighted those things? And we had rest, and we had contentment, and we had joy, and we had play. Well, what we're going to talk about today is actually something that wasn't in any of those memories. Yeah, if the wasp is flying around, hopefully it won't sting you. We're trying to find the nest. And what we think, here's my theory, this, this can be edited out, right? I hope. My theory is, because we, we have searched for these wasps all week long for multiple times we've tried to find them. My theory is, when the band plays, it shakes the glass, and, and there's a nest somewhere up in the eaves on the outside because some of these windows have little gaps in them, unfortunately. And so my theory, this is my theory. Let's keep that in mind. My theory is, my theory is when the windows shake because of the music, it, 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 it excites the nest and then they come in that way. But they have yet to sting anybody. They're more dirt daubers than yellow jacket type things. So just brush them away and Merry Christmas from Fellowship Asheville. <laughs> And uh, just in case, does anybody have an EpiPen handy? <laughs> great, great. We just keep that available. All right, um, uh, back to where we are. Okay, something that we never heard in those Christmas memories besides wasps um, uh, was this idea of worry. In that favorite Christmas memory that we want to see stretched out to this season, nobody said, I'm sitting around the Christmas tree worried out of my mind, and that's my absolute favorite Christmas memory. 
And part of the reason I think that worry isn't there is because there's other things there that, that push out worry. And I don't think it's just contentment or rest or play. I think there's something else this time of year in our hearts and souls that pushes worry out. And it's what we're going to talk about today. Because today, we are going to talk about worry, but we're going to talk about the better way of worry, and it's worship. We're going to talk about worship. And what we'll see today is how the presence of worship how in the presence of worship, there really can't be worry. And I don't mean the worship of like we do this morning where we, the church is gathered together and we sing and, and we listen to God's word be taught. And, and that's a great idea of community worship and corporate worship. What I'm talking about is those moments of worship um, that happen in our mind and in our hearts and our soul, often when no one else is around. Because let's be honest, that's when we worry the most, isn't it? Is when no one else is around. When we're sitting there in the quietness of our heart and our soul, that's when worry can take its deepest roots. And what we're going to see today is it's also an opportunity for worship to blossom there as well. And we're going to be uh, looking at Luke um, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you want to use the Bible in front of you, it's on page 709. Um, as we turn to Luke, it's actually a Christmas passage, which is great. Uh, like Laura said, we are in the Bible app. If you download the Bible app, click on events and click on Fellowship Asheville. All the announcements are there. Uh, there's places for you to take notes. The text is there as well, and so you, you're welcome to do that. But today, as we celebrate this baby being born um, on, on Christmas Eve, a baby that was predicted, a baby that was anticipated for generations, today we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And what we're going to see as we celebrate that is how Mary, his mother, responds to the information that she receives that she's going to be the savior of the world. Well, that her son's going to be the savior of the world. She's going to give birth to the savior of the world. Like, that's a big deal. This is some big information that she gets. And what we're going to see is that Mary has this opportunity to worry or she has this opportunity to worship. So in, in many ways, Mary is a great case study for what we're talking about today. Because she's going to face this incredible situation where worry could take root and fester, but it doesn't. Look at this in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So an angel, we know his name is Gabriel, shows up to talk to Mary. And here's what we know about her so far. We know that she's engaged to Joseph. That's what the term betrothed mean, means, at least in our culture. It's a little different than our engagement. In many ways, it was seen as if they were actually married, but they hadn't had the uh, wedding ceremony yet. They hadn't consummated the marriage yet, uh, but they were engaged to one another. What we also know is that it says that Mary was a virgin. Now, in, in, in the biblical text, a virgin could have two different meanings. In the Old Testament, it could mean where, where the prophecies were that, that the Savior would be born to a virgin. In, in the Old Testament, it could mean that she was young. A, a virgin is also means someone who's young. Or it could mean that, that she had never been with a man before. What we're going to see is that in Mary's case, both of those are true. A lot of commentators believe uh, that she was young, that she was uh, either around seventh grade when this happened, at most, she was 16. So when this angel showed up to tell her what we're going to see him tell her, she was somewhere between the ages of 13 and 16. 
Now, that's not a 2017 13 and 16-year-old. Things were vastly different back then, but she was still young. And we're gonna see later that, that she also has never been with a man before, and so, so this term, no matter how you define it, applies to her. Look at what the angel says to her in verse 28. It says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So this angel shows up and he calls her old, uh, oh, oh, favored one. And it's a word used only one other time in our Bible, this word, oh, favored one, that he, he, get, he calls her. It's attributed to Mary here, but in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, it's attributed to everyone who follows Jesus. It's, it's, it's a term used to describe the church. It's a term used to describe you. And so although this term is specific to her at this time, as the New Testament unfolds and, and, and Jesus is born and people follow him and believe that he is the Savior and Messiah that he says he is, that term becomes a term for everyone who follows Jesus. And if you've been in our women's ministry, even around church, I can't help but think of Eva when I read this, Eva Evans, because one of the things she's known for saying is that she's God's favorite. Apparently, Mary was first. And then, because of what happened to her, it opened up the way for all of us to be God's favorite. Because that's what that term means. We don't have a specific term, we don't have a specific definition for it because it's only used in these two places. But here's what we know. It means that, that in this season, God is looking upon her and saying, you are blessed. And what I take great comfort from is that that's not just Mary that he says that to. In Ephesians 1, God looks at his church and says the exact same thing and says, you are blessed because my favor is poured out on you. But this angel shows up. And what this angel could have done, this appearance could have caused Mary this, this great worry, which is why he said at the very end, God is with you. God is with you. But look at what it did to her, though. Because it did cause some worry. In verse 29, it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Right, so now comes the part that she really can get worried about. In verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means, means Savior, Yeshua. But he will be great and called the Most High, the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Y'all, this is a big deal for Mary. All right, as I studied this text, it was interesting. One of the things I discovered is that there was a prayer that Jewish mothers would pray that they would be the one to give birth to the Messiah. They'd be the one to give birth to the son who's gonna save the world from sin and the one that's gonna fix everything that Satan broke in the garden. They prayed that they would be the one to give birth to this kid. So, so, so when this angel showed up and said, guess what, Mary? It's you the prayer that you've probably prayed before, that you're gonna be the one. Guess what? It's you. And so this is an amazing moment for Mary. And look at her response to this awesome news in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? 
In other words, this amazing moment happens. This, this answer to this prayer that she has probably played, prayed, this answer to a prayer that, that Jewish uh, women prayed when they got married, that they would be the one to give birth to the Savior. Finally, this angel shows up and says, guess what, you are it. And her response is, wait a second. <clears throat> what do you mean? How is this actually gonna happen? Because she says, I've never been with a man before. How in the world am I gonna get pregnant? And see, her question is a question that in different ways we can all ask God from time to time. And it's when this happens, this is a question that we ask when God reveals what we can know, but then he leaves some blanks for us. And we start trying to fill in those blanks. And that's what she's done. God has said, you're gonna give birth to the Messiah, the, the one that the world has been waiting for. And he stops right there. And so there's some blanks left for her to fill in. And that's where her questions come up is, is, is how in the world can this be? You see, she's been told that you can know that from you will come the Messiah, but her question is, how? See, what you say I can know and what I know, do know aren't matching up. See, I know I haven't been with a man is what she's saying and how is this actually gonna work? Well, then, just to clear things up, here's what I love. She says, how's this gonna work? And so the angel, out of the kindness and mercy of him being a messenger of God, he tells her how this is gonna clear things up. In verse 35, the, answer, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her uh, who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And so here's what he tells her. He says, listen, Something brand new is gonna happen. Something that has never happened before is gonna happen to you. No one has ever experienced what's gonna happen to you and God himself is gonna be this baby's father. Now, doesn't that clear things up? I mean, imagine if you were married. The angel assures her, you're still gonna be a virgin. No sin is gonna be committed to you. You are still gonna be a virgin. Trust me, y'all, this isn't the answer she expected. It's safe to say that no one would expect this answer, right? And then there's this last little comment just to let her know God's in the business of doing the impossible because that's what he says. He says, listen, nothing is impossible with God. You see, I wanna stop here for just a moment because God, through this angel, revealed something amazing to Mary. And yet, she has questions. Right? Questions not unlike you and I would have in the same situation. And she's caught in this tension between what, ha what God has revealed and what she knows. You see, God has revealed that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. What she doesn't know is how. But this is only the first thing she doesn't know. Like, there's a whole list of things that Mary doesn't know based on what this angel said. For example, you realize. She, the angel never said she's gonna survive childbirth. It was very common for mothers not to survive childbirth. And the angel doesn't say, guess what? You're gonna be okay. She doesn't know that. She doesn't know if Joseph is even gonna stick around, right? Because in his mind, 
They are, they are basically married and just waiting for him to do the stuff he needs to do for them to be able to have the ceremony, for them to be able to consummate their marriage. And then Mary shows up and says, guess what, I'm pregnant. And guess what, God's the father, yay. Now, if you were him, what would you do? You see, she doesn't know. God's actually taking care of that situation, but she doesn't know that. She doesn't know if Jesus will even be accepted as the Messiah. She doesn't know if she's going to be accepted. Because what is about to happen to her in her culture will produce a whole lot of shame. You see, there's a whole list of stuff that she doesn't know. And when that's compared to what God told her she could know, there's an opportunity here. And y'all, this is where you and I often find ourselves, isn't it? And it's this, is when what we don't know is often much greater than what God says we can know. That's exactly where Mary is. What she doesn't know is a whole lot bigger than what God has told her she can know. He's only told her just a little bit, and yet there's a whole list of things she doesn't know. And we do the same thing too. Like, like we know God is our provider. That's what, that's what the scriptures say. One of my favorite, song, favorite verses, Psalms, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And, and at any given time, he owns, he like holds the universe together and he can do miraculous things to meet the needs of his church, to meet the needs of his people. And so we know that God is our provider and we know that. And yet, sometimes we don't know how he's going to provide. He says that he's our healer, and we know that, but we may not know how he's going to heal. God says that he's present with us. He even told Mary that through this angel, that God is present with you. And we have that promise over and over again through Scripture, and yet, even though we know this, we don't know what to do when we feel lonely and we feel like he's distant. You see, it's in these tensions when we're stuck between what God has said we can know and the questions that don't have answers, the stuff that we don't know, where we can do one of two things. We can worship or we can worry. And let me paint a picture for what that is. When we focus on what God has said, that's worship. You see, there's something uh, uh, that's kind of this natural response called worship. When we see God for who he is or we see what he has done, our response to that is worship. And worship happens when we focus on what God has said and what we can know because he said it. When he reveals it to us in his word, when he reveals it to us in his presence, when we know what God has said and we focus on that, when we know who God is and we focus on that, that is worship. That is our response to that. It's like when we sing songs up here and we sing songs about the character of God and the qualities of God and what God has done. Don't you feel it in your, in your heart and your soul? You're like, yes, I am with that God. That God is with me and that is worship. But there's also times when we focus on what God hasn't said and that's worry. You see, when we focus on what God hasn't said, we worry. When we dwell on what God hasn't said, we get caught up in all kinds of worry. And this can come out across as as perfectionist and and, and controlling because if God hasn't said it, that means it's up to me to do it, right? That's the lie that we believe. 
We can become angry and depressed and despondent. We can separate ourselves from those who really are best for us. And we can make these huge life choices for all the wrong reasons. Because we focus on what God hasn't said instead of what he has. And all of this is because we have this choice between worship and worry. And so let me ask you a question. What causes your greatest worry right now? Because you're sitting here today. As you came into this building today, what's causing your greatest worry? Um, I'll tell you about a time. Um, early on in, in this church's history, we started in 2008. Um, 2008 through 2011, 12-ish were pretty rough years for us. Um, uh, most church start, start off with some pretty rough years, and they were rough years for us. And there were many times that I thought, God, did I follow you correctly to move here from a really good job in Tennessee to move here to plant this church? By the way, anybody else remember what happened in 2008 that affects kind of how nonprofits uh, get their income from people generously giving? Yeah, there was a crash, Right? And I remember sitting out at this table uh, that was outside of our office building. At that point, we office in the Flatiron Building. There was a little coffee shop downstairs. And to be cheap, I'd make my coffee in the office and then go down and sit at the coffee table downstairs. And I was sitting down there, and, and I remember asking God, God, what did I do? Right? Did I follow you right? And, and, and I asked, I said, is this church, what's gonna, is this going to be a success or is it going to be, be a failure? Like, did I choose wrongly? Because what I was focused on is I was focused on all the things that God hadn't said, right? There were so many blanks that I filled in with my own answers, and it produced this great time, moment of worry, and I remember sitting there, and it was one of those times where God spoke to me, and it was very clear from the Holy Spirit. Um, um, it's the only way I can describe it. I didn't hear this audible voice, but it was, it was close enough to audible that it could be audible, at least in my soul. And I heard God say, this won't end in failure. Now, if you're like me, there's still a lot of blanks you can fill in after that. Because not failure and success may be a big difference between the two of them. But I remember sitting there and the fact that God heard me and God spoke to me in that moment, this won't end in failure, relieve that worry. And, and, and in that moment, I moved from worry to worship because what I was able to do is realize there's a God who loves me and cares for me enough and cares for y'all as a church enough to meet me at a coffee table with coffee that I didn't even buy from the coffee shop to meet me there in my moment of asking him for help. And what happened is that became an anchor in my soul because those questions still kept coming, is, is this gonna work? And I would always be reminded of when God said, this won't end in failure. And it moved me from worry to worship to just take the next step and to follow God. Now, I can still worry because, like I said, there's a big gap between failure and success, but I hold on to these words, and when I do, that worry disappears. And so, for you, what causes your greatest worry? What has God shown you in his word that can be an anchor to your soul? 
What has God shown you through his people and the words of encouragement that they've spoken to you that can be an anchor to your soul? What has God shown you in his presence that can be an anchor to your soul? You see, those things are what you can know about him to answer and move you from worry to worship. Well, look at what Mary did in verse 38. So she has all these things that she could be worried about, but instead she says this, and Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so what Mary did in this moment is she said, let it be according to your word. In other words, she focused on what she could know. Because here's all she knows. This angel showed up from God to tell her she was gonna give birth to the Messiah. And she said, okay, that's good enough. Let it be according to your word. As a matter of fact, you can tell that she worshiped because if you look a few verses down, she actually wrote a worship song based on this. It says, Mary's song of praise. You see, she worshiped. She chose to focus on what God said she could know. Well, Christmas Eve is a perfect opportunity for this because God has revealed in this little baby the absolute best thing we can know, that God came to earth for us. See, this is the good news of God becoming man. And y'all, since this is a Christmas to remember, I'm gonna take y'all on a little memory trip for me, memory, uh, walk down memory lane, I guess, for me. Um, there was a radio broadcast that my dad and I would listen to. Um, y'all, this is gonna sound so Texan, but my dad had this truck, and we would hop in his truck, and we would go uh, to this place called Keller's, which was a burger place in Dallas, a little, one of those places is kind of like Sonic before Sonic was Sonic where you drove up and the, the folks came out on roller skates and got your order and went back in. And they had this one burger called the number five. This is complete sidetrack now. This one burger called the number five. And my dad would give me a quarter if I could eat the whole thing because it was big, right? And so we'd go there and we'd listen to the radio. And if the Rangers games weren't on, we were listening to whatever radio station he listened to. And there was this guy that would come on called Paul, Paul Harvey. All right, not Steve Harvey, that's a different Harvey, uh, but this is Paul Harvey, and he had a radio show uh, that lasted from 1952 into 2008 called The Rest of the Story, and there was one story that he shared on one Christmas that helped me remember, really for for the first time, helped me understand what I can know about what God has done, because he talked about how God sent his son. And so what I'm gonna do is we're gonna take about four minutes and I want you to listen to Paul Harvey talk about what we can know to be true. So if you'd play the audio for me. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. 
So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first, he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them, but how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn but I would have to be one of them wouldn't I so they could see and hear and understand at that moment the church bells began to ring the sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells at Deste Fidelis, listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. When I was a kid, sitting in my dad's truck, 
That was the first time that I remember knowing what I could know about God. That God sent his son to be one of us so that we could have a relationship with him. You see, this Christmas can still be a Christmas to remember because that's what we call the gospel. That's what we call the good news. That God became man. And so for those of you who are new to this whole Jesus thing, to church, um, this is what it's about. You see, God came to us so that we could know him. And it's for you. And you too can know him by simply saying yes. By saying yes to Jesus, that he's the one who said that he is, that he's the savior. And yes to him is providing a way that you can have a good and right relationship with the God who loves you and the God who knows you and the God who created you. And many of us in this room have already said yes to Jesus. That gospel is still the good news for us because actually that gospel for us is still the best news that we've ever heard, that God would become a man. And so for us, those of us who have already said yes, it's a reminder of what we can know, that because of Jesus, we have this relationship with a God who loves us and meets us and guides us and comforts us, who provides for us, who leads us, and in our times of worry, in our times of doubt, he will also remind us of what we can know. And so church, for you, when tempted to worry, to focus on what God hasn't said, this time of year, today, just today, let's let tomorrow worry about itself, but just today, Let's focus instead on what he has said, and let's worship.